Number 11. Woohoo! We did it. We did it. We do it every week. So good. Can I just say that, like, literally doing it a weekly podcast is not, is not something that I know most people do. This is <laughs> this is pretty momentous. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, most of the time you see there's like a little lull, and then it'll catch back up, and then there's a lull. And I always wanted to be like the podcasts I loved that were really consistent and had mm-hmm. 52 episodes by their like. 14th month you know yeah so we're on track yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, pr- I'm proud and of my us rules, we're on track and you know being a little proud is definitely a good it thing is. learn how to learn how to enjoy all of the parts of your personality <laughs> um so today we are continuing you're amy solara solara i always forget to do the introduction we need to, that's what we need to do that should be the goal for number 12 is a real introduction yeah and maybe putting a song on that one of us actually wrote or we sang on together as opposed to whatever the grab bag thing is that we kind of have there now, which I like, but it's, yeah. you know. Yeah, you, you Mr. Guitar Player, that's your job. All right, then I will. You can say, and you're listening to Mantra and Magic Podcast with Jeremy. Starring, and then we never have to exactly. say it again. Okay. Then I <laughs> press the button and add it as the intro every single time. That would be great. I should definitely do that. Cool. Now I know that I have a, a task to accomplish this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, speaking of, from last week, I uh, I got some good feedback from the mantra that we talked about at the end, the Durga mantra. Uh, grateful, um, grateful to actually have a uh, an interactive audience. So thank you very much for giving feedback. I believe. Um. I think that was Cassie. Let me double check. And <laughs> okay, see who it was. It was Cassie. I know. I got to give the shout outs. Sorry. I'm rearranging altar stuff. As we're talking about tools, I wanted my crystals in a different place. That's a good thing to do. We are talking about tools. Um, can I start off while you're doing that with something that I, it's amazing how spirit works. It was, I picked up one of my books and I was like, Oh look, here's this. I'm going to read this. And it had exactly to do with tools. So, uh, this is one that we didn't discuss, actually, oh. oddly enough. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> I marked it in my book, and then I took the bookmark out. See, this is what I get for jumping, jumping the gun. I know it was in Chapter 8. You know how I know? Because that chapter is mantra. <laughs> 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 okay. So... Um, let me read this real quick. I'm trying to fill space while I All get good. there. So if you I haven't know. heard our podcast before, so if, if this is your first time tuning in, uh, Jeremy yeah, is you. a healing practitioner in Colorado. He mm-hmm. does hands-on mm-hmm. healing with massage therapy and Reiki and cranial sacral therapy. And he can also do polarity therapy. Which I always forget because mm-hmm. I don't understand it. And Nobody does. It's okay. <laughs> and he also does uh, long distance healing therapy sessions and sound healing things and i am amy solara and if you don't know who i am i'm a witch who is also a mother and a priestess and a wife and um a highly crafty person (laughs) who likes making things (laughs) and i uh am the head of the all souls witch academy or i called it flight school this time around because uh teaching everybody how to fly essentially um with nice. lots of beautiful guided meditations and trance journeys. And um, we're going to be launching 
its second round starting on Samhain, the day after Halloween. So this uh, group is solidified now as it is. The doors are closed. But if you want to get on the wait list, shoot me an email for um, the next round and you will get first access to signups before I release them to the public. So if you send me an email at amysolara at icloud.com, then you'll be able to get on that wait list. And I'll be posting other things too about what we're discovering in the school right now and what's coming through because it really is new information in a lot of ways um that's also ancient information in a lot of ways which is fun um and it's it's been so thrilling we've only had one session so far it was on beltane the high holy day that's the what they call the cross quarter day which means in between Mm -hmm. the solstice and the equinox if you're like i don't know what a sabbath is i don't know what the holy days of paganism are well here we go. There's eight. Uh, this is a tool in and of itself. A lot of people were asking me this. A lot of people were like, I don't know what she's talking about. So um, there are. A calendar is yeah, a tool. There are yeah. eight holy days of the year. Here's your first tool. Uh, looking at your calendar to figure out what other tools you're going to need for your ritual. So uh, the first holy day on the wheel of the year, based off of our Gregorian calendar, is Bridget, our in bulk. And it's on February 4th first sunset till february 2nd sunset and it is the last of the winter holidays um so depending on whether you're a witch or not you might see it as close to new year's you might see it as halfway through the wheel um for me it's halfway through the wheel (laughs) so there's that (laughs) the next high holy day is called ostara and it's where we get the name Easter because we went from Ostara to Eostra to Easter. And that's why um, the Christian holiday is named what it is. And most people don't um, realize that and they can't figure out how the name Easter came from Jesus. And it's because it doesn't. And there's a wonderful kind of spring ritual that involves bunnies and eggs. And oh my, there's Easter. So if you're curious about that, go take a look. Um, the next High Holy Day is... Uh, what just happened it's called Beltane and it's the exact opposite point on the wheel from Samhain so in uh, English words it's May Day Beltane is uh, the kind of Celtic origin Gaelic um, old English so then you have summer solstice next and a lot of people call that one Letha and um, that's the middle of summer, the second of the summer rituals. And then um, after that comes the first, uh, some people say it's the first of the harvest. Some people say it's the last of the summer. I think for most people in the Southwest, it's like the middle of the summer because it's in August. <laughs> uh, it's August 1st. And that's either called Lamas or Lunasad. And it's the exact polar opposite to the first one I mentioned, Bridget in bulk. And it is um, another Celtic name. Lu is a Celtic god and Bridget is a Celtic goddess. And so that's where those come from. Then following that is the first official autumn holiday in my book, Madeline. And it's uh, always associated with like, apples and the, the late harvest of fruits and vegetables and things like the last of them before uh, you get like the final harvest holiday, which is Samhain, Halloween. And that one is my particular favorite. And it's seen as the witch's new year. Hence me saying uh, Bridget doesn't really feel like New Year's because my new year is way on the other side of 
the calendar that we use in an everyday Western culture way. And then following that is the culmination of the eight, Yule. Yule is what other pagans, some other pagans see as New Year. So depending on what kind of pagan tradition you come from, depending on which part of the world you live in, depending on how you orient your life based on the seasons and what you relate to most, then uh, you could choose which one is your new year. Maybe it's Yule. Maybe it's not. Um, Yule is winter solstice and it's where we get our Yuletide carols and evergreen boughs and trees inside our houses that are filled with sparkly lights. So uh, (laughs) lots of things from the pagan world get filtered into the both the Christian and the secular in a really beautiful way. Um, So those those days become kind of like a roadmap for most people who are seeking out a different format for spirituality and a different way to connect to nature on a cyclical and spiralic way rather than like this kind of linear um, 365 calendar that we're used to. So if you're kind of wanting to get back in touch with the seasons, back in touch with nature this is the first tool is to look at the wheel of the year and kind of start to feel the rhythms and feel the cycles that are happening on the planet and see how these seasons are shifting and changing because of climate change and because of um, humans expansion into other areas where these aren't actually related to the seasons at all depending on like if you live in the southern hemisphere then it's a flipped wheel of the year and you would be celebrating Samhain when everybody else in the northern hemisphere is celebrating Beltane which is what just passed. Mm. Mm-hmm. So figuring out where you are. And so, so each of them, they're not all the same length is what you're saying too. Um, it's, it's more based off of the moon cycle than based no, off no, of the sun no, it cycle. It is based off. This, these are the solar holidays because they're okay. the four main ones of uh, the solar changes are the solstices and the equinoxes, right? So we have winter solstice and summer solstice. And then the halfway Mm -hmm. points between those are the autumn equinox and spring equinox. And then you have what are called the cross-quarter holidays. So those are the ones that would, if you put all this on a cardinal map, then you would have Mm -hmm. eight points instead of four. You would have north, northeast, east, southeast, south, southwest, et cetera. So um, right. For people who are trying to map out their year and figure out things to do with their kids, you might not be able to celebrate exactly corresponding to the secular holiday. So like everybody else hopping around after the Easter Bunny in April felt like a month late to me because Ostara happened in the middle of March. (laughs) Well, that's how Greek Orthodox Church is too. Like it's based off of the map and or based off of like the lunar cycle and the like when – when Easter falls, like the certain weekend, right, it's right after you know, after the beginning of the year, of right, and that would be so. The equinox marks the beginning of spring, and then Easter right. is uh, figured out by Passover, and Passover is figured out by the lunar calendar, which is the first full moon of spring, mm. and so Easter falls after that, which is why that happened when it did. Um, yeah, so things to know for your um, geeky witchy self that when who knew that that was going to be the first tool we were going to go with too especially since we talked about well no we did talk about wheels we did talk about going around it right why it helps that's true because as you are learning to work ritual for yourself as you're beginning to use some of the other tools that we're talking about you can start literally mapping out your entire altar using this you're um, Mm -hmm. you can switch your altar based off of these 
uh, high, what I call high holy days. I think I got that from a Jewish witch. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or from Red. Yeah, I was like, does Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah fit in the pagan world? Um, so when I redo my altar, it typically falls on these days, but then there's some things on my altar that always stay. And these are the tools that we're going to talk about right now. Boom. Well, I mean, you've already got it going. You may as well just go ahead and take the, <laughs> take the reins on this part as well. What's the first, what's the first, uh, the first tool it's we're going to talk Gemini about? It's my Gemini rising nature. I can't help it. I love air. Well, <laughs> I know. We also had a really long conversation earlier where we were both super hyped. So. Because <laughs> well, we get really into this, um, you and I. And mm-hmm. um, I think part of it is you're working with Golden Dawn right now. I've always been drawn to tarot. Tarot is based off of this, these exact things. Um, I've also really been drawn to Celtic magic. Um, Since I was Mm -hmm. a child, I was obsessed with Morgan Le Fay. So uh, these tools are also sacred to the Druids and they're sacred to many other pagan traditions and you can find them all over the world. And they are the four that I have tattooed on the knuckles of my right hand so that I never forget them. (laughs) And uh, the first one is swords and air. And I think it's a great entry point into all of this because they also um, say that this cardinal direction, this elemental nature corresponds to our mental functions and our mental energy and our mind and our thoughts and our words and the way we speak and the way we sing and the way we listen, the way we hear. And so as we're Mm -hmm. stepping into this, um, knowledge essentially we're stepping into using this exact tool which is sword and it can be the sword of discernment the sword of truth the sword of cutting away and clearing out illusion the sword of all sorts of things and it's really when we look at it in tarot it's called swords when we look at it on our altar it's called an athame and it's a little bit different and jeremy why don't you go ahead and explain why those two things are different like why athame first um well, we discussed before that it was really size. Um, in the Golden Dawn tradition, the sword is used as more of a ceremonial, uh, more of a ceremonial weapon. Uh, in the in um, well, I mean, in tarot and in anything else, it is symbolic of uh, the energetic. It's discernment. It is separation of one thought and another thought. Like you can't have, you can't make a cake without deciding, you know, like what the ingredients are, right? right? And you can't make the decision to make the cake until you've decided that you're not going to make a pie. So you have to literally, you have to parse down your decisions and you use the athame in that, in the, in the metaphysical realm to, to cut away the things that don't serve to get to the point where you can actually start to give structure to it. Because this is also uh, one of the unstructured uh, signs, right? So air is completely unstructured. You have to figure out like what you're going to decide. And then that goes from there into your actual box or container as to what you're, what you're starting to put together. Um, I love that you said that because like it puts the power back into your hands. So it takes the power out of the right. element and out of the tool and back into your own mind so that you are mm-hmm. literally learning how to focus your power and your will automatically by just using this tool, by just using the athame. Yeah, you have to discern what it is that is what's important to you, mm-hmm. right? And this is the first tool that I got tattooed on me. Um, the athame that's on my right arm I got it because it had been so crucial that year for me to discern what was true, what was not, um, 
how to speak my truth, how to open up my throat chakra, how to focus my intuition, how to channel the energy through the arm that it's tattooed on as I cast and put up boundaries and uh, created anchor points and used my own vessel, my body as a means of cutting through that energetic um like I was gonna say like void like just the the Uh all that is around you um so around me and I feel like the athame was something that I was instantly drawn to as well because I feel um more connected to angelic energy than I do to fairy energy and Uh athames are made of iron and angels are drawn to the iron in our blood because it's the part of us that comes from the stars and that's where they come from. And the fairies are drawn to the opposite because they come from the planet earth and they want all of the earth energy. So they're a little more called to, I think the next tool. Which would be the pentacle. No, <laughs> where, are we, where are we going? Oh, one. Sorry. I was looking at the direction. I'm like, what are you, Backwards. what are you, where are you leading this? Yeah, where are you leading dude. me to here? Well, I'm also sitting here looking at the, I'm looking at the mystical Kabbalah oh. as we're talking about this too. So the, um, the swords are associated with, uh, yet zero with that, which is, yeah, which, and, and Eastern air. So we kind of talked about wanting to go through as we progress and kind of combining these all. Yeah. Um, so the wands, are fire their direction of will you've made your decision now what are you going to do with it how are you going to yeah how are you going to move it so um uh wands are everybody knows about a wand when you were a kid or at least when i was a kid i was all about picking up sticks you know and it was more exciting to think about sending fireballs out than to using it as a sword you know because you had to find a big enough stick to do that as well (laughs) um I always used to get so this confused is, with swords and wands of which one was fire and which one was air. Again, I've read things that say, you know, that they're flipped in some traditions, but it, I mean, it makes the most sense to me that like fire is, it's, uh, you know, swords is potential energy, it seems like, and fire is uh, active energy. It's literally, you're, you're setting your thing ablaze. Also, the, the, if you think about it, as if maybe even you're cooking, if you break it down to something basic, you have to collect your timber, you set it on fire, you get your, your water and your vessel, and then you combine those things to actually make what it is that you're making. Yeah. You, know, you to bring to your things into the form of emanation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So fire, fire's next fire's South. Um, mm-hmm. and high noon, uh, for sun placement. So East and air is sunrise, like early morning mm-hmm. and then high noon fire. And that's another way to think of it. Like, um, the to remember that fire and south go together and that the sun's directly overhead it's like the hottest time and you would cast no shadows at that time because the shadow would be directly underneath you um so Mm -hmm. it's kind of the most light and you can use the wand as that that almost uh what's the image i'm trying to say uh in the wild unknown the eight of wands there's a mm-hmm. lightning bolt that's striking the wands and lighting it up. Um, and that's what I keep picturing. So it's like the, <laughs> even though that's like metal that I'm thinking of the lightning rod, the wand can be that. So it doesn't have to just be like the wand is on fire. It's like what you said, it can shoot the fire out or pull it into itself. 
Well, it's also, I mean, this is the physical representation of spiritual fire, right? right? Cause you know, like when we, there's um, a, a quote in one of the books that I like that says, uh, you know, where, where does the light come from that we see when we dream by? Cause our eyes are closed mm-hmm. and we still, still have the light that's there for that. So in uh, Kabbalism, Atzilut, which is the world of emanations uh, or the divine world, is the realm of wands as well. So on the other side, on the, in the esoteric idea, wands are related to um, the highest form of energetic because there's not a discernment. It is the highest form. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Let's stick to the witch's circle for a second. <laughs> Let's do it. I feel like that's gonna get, it. it's going to get too complicated if you start going up the tree of life right now. Well, we've only we've only got two more. No, I know so. you're really excited about <laughs> it. You really want to share about Kabbalah right now. We're talking about tools today. And Kabbalah is a tool, but it's a, a system of tools that's not this basic four uh, that you find in throughout right. paganism. Like every single type of practice will have these four things. So the next one is water. Um, oops, sorry, mm-hmm. that was a giant crystal of appetite that I was holding in my hand. Um, and uh, cups and west and water are the follow-up because you can't have fire without water Uh, this is the emotional state well it's also not safe yeah (laughs) so it helps temper it and this is where the alchemy really starts to happen right because air and fire is combustion they like each other they just keep building off of each other. The more oxygen you feed a fire, the bigger the fire grows. But then you mm-hmm. have no control over it. And this is why um, water steps in and it gives you. So I feel like um, air is actually, to me, structured and fire is unstructured and then water's structured. I don't know why. It, wouldn't, it doesn't make sense that way because earth is way is the most structured of all. Um, but water mm-hmm. feels so permeable and it feels so malleable, but it also creates boundaries and it um, helps the fire not go all over the place and burn everything. Well, right. But it's also if you have you have to have water in something to be able to keep it from burning away completely. Right. right? So in that it is a boundary. Yeah. So it is kind of setting that structure there. But you're, you're right. I mean, it's again, we, you start to see the polarity and the dichotomy of the of the energetic and how it can be both things. And how us using these words to separate the things out is also just us being able to explain the things that are in our head. And sometimes it might be a called a cup. Sometimes it might be called a chalice. Really, chalice is just a Mm -hmm. fancy word for a cup. Um, It's a nicer cup, yeah. I have a chalice that I got at the Renaissance Fair, and I use that now (laughs) because it feels ceremonial to me. It makes me step out of the everyday reality a little faster if I'm using it. Right. and I would say just like be safe when we talk about making these tools in just a second, we'll get to that. Let's talk about earth first. So North and earth is a pentacle. Pentacles. Penta, yeah. Pentagram. Pentacle mm-hmm. plate. Uh, really, mm-hmm. it comes from plate, right? The, the thing that holds the other tools kind of, or the one that's related to, I sometimes put rocks there because I feel like that's <laughs> more, uh, earth than anything it's like literal solid matter um and uh if you aren't practicing in a pagan tradition or lineage that uses that five-pointed star for whatever reason then maybe putting like a literal rock in the place of north feels better for you because you prefer runes or something and so you do runes in all the directions which is a different tool. Um, so mm-hmm. 
with that, you can make or uh, buy any of these four things, a wand, an athame, a chalice, and a pentacle. Um, a lot of times you'll, get, you'll see pentacle chargers, right? Where it's like a charging plate that you put other things mm-hmm. on. What do you prefer? For charging or no things. for pentacles, do you like? Do you stand it up or do um, you lay it down? Usually, I'll put it on the ground. I'll uh, I'll start by drawing it out. This is actually I've been really wanting. We kind of talked about this earlier. I've been really wanting to actually uh, get stone and to start working with stone and metal to make uh, to make my own altars mm-hmm. for outside work, just because it's so nice outside right now. But usually, I'll um. I'll draw it in the earth and then I'll use uh, stones or marbles or, you know, things, whichever, whatever I really am kind of working with, whatever elements I'm working with to kind of set my corners and to set my intentions. Um, if I'm working with someone, it's literally uh, drawn in, uh, in the mental space or in the, the uh, metaphysical mm-hmm. space. And then it's, they're set ablaze, you know, so it's, it has a structure and it also is using divine light to kind of keep out any energetic that is, that, uh, that he's either coming up for in the session that may be trying to come in. That's interesting. I never use the tools themselves as markers. Well, see, that's the weird thing for me too. Like I, you know, I first started working with a lot of these basic tools in the etheric space because I was gifted them then in that space, as opposed to me having Mm -hmm. them. Like it got to a point where I finally, um, you know, living in Boulder, there's trees everywhere. I'm in the mountains. So like, I, I kind of got drawn to collecting staves and collecting wands and kind of making my own. And it would just, I'd go, I'd work on them for a little while, put them aside. And they are, I don't necessarily use them in ceremony because again, they're, they're something that can be charged mm-hmm. and there's something that can be useful, but it's also strange for people who are coming in for a massage or coming in for my, some other type of body work for me to be like, all right, I got my wand and my cup and my pinnacle. And they're kind of like, what the hell are you well, doing? I'm even like, if you just have it's it all right. Don't worry about it. The side where all of your oils. It's true. Are. Yeah. But it's like, it's also, that's part of the stuff that's kind of more in my meditation space. So I carry my tools with me in inside, well, you I know, mean, more than anything else. So those are kind of drawn up. That's the ultimate goal with all tools eventually is that you don't actually right. have to have the physical. And Don, right. who is it? Don Juan that Carlos Castaneda works with. Uh, right. His, Don Juan laughs and he's like, no, tools are for beginners. And then once mm-hmm. you get past that, you just, you have the energy. But I, I like having an altar that's set up with all four tools um, just around it as kind of a, a connection point to say like, okay, the, I can see it visually and this is where I'm going to either charge up the spell I'm working on or place the crystals in right. the middle or like whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, well, yeah, it's also part of my own practice. I think too, it's like, it's, you know, I don't go around announcing to everybody. It's the same way. I don't dress like a wizard. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have that stuff kind of set up either. in my, in my personal business either. I mean, I didn't say that you did. You wear a lot of black. You have long fingernails. <laughs> no, I don't. So, actually, and I you're, did, you're you tattooed. Did they have been oh, you had to get rid of them? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that they are helpful to have. And it's also a, a nice thing that you can pass on to, your, you know, students that you may have or, or like kind of have them as part of the family. It's like you literally use them as parts of, of protection for the house. Well, and- um, but as you've also, you and I have also discussed, you were saying, you know, that uh, working with um, and this is by no means demeaning any of these uh, tools. I definitely still use them in my practice. But you, when you get to the point where you're working on 
um, in the mental plane, it seems like it's a lot safer because you're there too, because you can set up, break down, hold things in a certain way. Uh, you were talking about using um, sacred geometry as a way to kind of protect the house as opposed to casting circles. Because again, once you've cast a circle, if you're doing it in the physical realm and you have items that are there, other things can still kind of sneak in through that way. So yeah. it's something that you kind of have to be kind of conscious of. And, uh, you know, if you've kind of just got stuff laying around and somebody else finds it, picks it up, does something else with it, it's like, all right, what the hell happened? I came home and the doors were unlocked and the, you know, the, like, like in the, in the spirit world, the doors are unlocked and there's things wandering around the house. No. It's like, you know, this is not how I kind of set it up when I left. I don't, I never ever <clears throat> tell anyone to cast a physical circle, like to put physical things down. Where, where did you right. learn that one from? This is just, it was part of my practice. Again, oh. like working in the East, I would, you know, I set things that are regarded in the East. It, it is, inc it's incredibly strong. Like it definitely does help when you're dropping into sacred space as well. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're doing it more from that physical standpoint and you're giving yourself something to kind of look at and to, to focus on having a feather in the East, having uh, a bundle of sticks or having your incense in the South, having a cup with water in so it. So you'd put that like um, around in the, your space? In the like West. A, away from you, not on your altar? If you're, if I'm using it in, uh, if I've cast a circle, a lot of times that'll be something that I will do. And then, yeah, it's like you literally have it so that it's set up so that those things are delineated. And once you get to that point too, this is like further down the line. If you're working and pulling in an energy through the South or through fire, then you have something there to actually reference. You know, if you're setting up and you're doing, we kind of talked about too, um, the, the crossovers, mm -hmm. like using, like scrying, if you're scrying in a, a, a mirror or if you're, um, if you're using like candle magic, that type of thing. If you're working with those energetics to pull into that space, you kind of can put them at the cross corners and you kind of, you're combining that energetic. Again, it's just intention, right? Yes. More than anything else. But I always but, have my, my clients and my students put them on the physical altar in the center so that you have room to move around. Right. Yeah. Which works. But uh, again, it's also kind of depends on if you're doing practical, if you're doing space for yourself, this is, this is also more, um, golden dawn stuff. Right. Like there will be things that are set up on the walls. So you're literally being surrounded by the energetic as opposed to the energetic being on the inside, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's all different. I mean, the very first circle yeah. I ever cast because I was using, um, just a, a reference book that I had found with a friend. We actually walked around with salt and flower petals and, made mm -hmm. a circle in the living room that we then vacuumed up afterwards. But um, right. I could feel the awfulness of it because that physical boundary, it was like, okay, now nobody can go pee. Nobody can go get extra water from the kitchen. <laughs> um, Cause we right. don't know how to close the circle back up and then open it and then close it again. <laughs> so, right. Um, there's, well, that's like, what I was saying. This is, this is for, this is for like, Right. But this is for my like personal, this is for personal practice for me. Um, when I'm doing a session, I don't necessarily do it that way. Again, when I'm doing a session, the altar is the place, it, the altar is the table, you know, the altar is where I'm actually doing my work. So it's different if the, that's the focus, the people that are on the table are the focus of the work. So if I'm doing my own work, I'm setting a safe space so that any energy that I'm trying to communicate with or anything that I'm trying to pull in literally comes down and is, and I'm being surrounded by it, you know, and this also protects people and things that are around me. I don't necessarily want to have that blasted out because, you know, you know, people in the neighbor in my neighborhood might be affected by it, you know, so being able to contain it a little bit, a little bit more is helpful. If, you know, you, once you get to a point where you're actually able to kind of direct it, you know, 
and it also depends on if you're in a, an apartment complex or if you have, you know, uh, if you have a partner who you live with, who's, who's highly uh, sensitive to energies like I do, you know, it's like you, I, you figure out ways too that uh, you're able to still have, I'm able to still have my own practice without it interfering with other people's but, uh, experience. But that's why I'm like, why, uh, why wouldn't you keep the physical tools on the altar itself and just set up the energetic boundaries of the room you're in? Um, because the, it's, that's just the way that I do it (laughs) to be completely honest. I'm always curious, like reasonings behind stuff. Um, and cause also whenever I do this, I have my yoga mat down or I have a, um, you know, I have one of my ponchos down or a blanket down. So I am on the altar. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm literally doing the work. So uh, it's different for everybody. I mean, everybody has a different way of doing it. And this is, you know, kind of also, we were, we're kind of getting away from, from tools by talking about this, but this is again, depending on whether you're working in fire, you're working in earth, you're working in water um, or air, uh, how it is that you're going to approach that, whether it's through dance, whether it's through uh, movement like yoga, you know, if it's through song, which is for air, a lot of the times how I'll do it, I may sing my calling for, for the, for the East. And then for fire, it's more of like, you're building up heat, you know, it it just kind of depends on what your personal practice is, I believe as well. So it's not just about the item. Literally you are, we are all of that stuff, right? right? We have fire, we have air, right? Exactly. So it's looking at it from that standpoint of how it's already inside of us, as opposed to the outside expression, which uh, again, I was listening to one of our old podcasts from a couple of years ago and uh, realizing that, you know, what we were talking about then, like what my, what my focus was, at that point in time was song. It was about me finding a lot of like power and mantra, which I'm still, you know, I'm still into, but it's amazing how our focus shifts as we look for more structure or we look to uh, continue to grow in our practice. So now I am looking for more structure. I'm looking at more of like, you know, with Kabbalism, it's literally, you have a map of how things are working and you kind of start to see, Oh, I see how this equates to this and how my, my practice in this equates to this Sephiroth, you know? So, um, one of the reasons too, I think, uh, I have never really, I have never identified as a witch Mm. like that. Just that word doesn't really, it doesn't resonate with me for some reason. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the, that feeling of wildness, that feeling of, of, um, untamed, uh, primal energy, you know, Mm. I'm not sure if that's, if that's necessarily what the case is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly instant thought was he's never been a witch before (laughs) right right (laughs) but you've been a priest you've been a healer Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i I think i follow the the witch way of setting up sacred space with mats and things to lay down on as um in front of the altar like you're coming to the altar and the altar has all of the tools on it and then the place where the person is going to lay down for the healing um is it's, to the side yeah or, right in front of it yeah. so like their head would be closest to the altar with their feet moving away and everybody surrounding them right and that's how it was in ceremony right because yeah. it was we had you had the altar that was set up in the center and then the mat was literally off to the side so yeah. and i feel like um, yeah. having them connected that way with like the person's head closest to the tangible representations of the energies flowing through them right. really really useful but with setting up these four tools that we talked about the chalice and the wand and the Athena. Um, right 
having them in those positions can help you as a novice or as a beginner kind of figure out, oh, right, like this would be something I would use to in, uh, draw this energy in, call it in, like you said. Right. I love that. Um, it is really useful to have a candle in the south and mm-hmm. to like hold your wand over it and kind of pull the fire in to the circle. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to what we were talking <laughs> about at the beginning, um, making these or buying these. I love that you said you were walking through the forest because my wand is actually a burnt piece of wood from after the mammoth fires in California um, mm-hmm. a while ago. And it has obsidian as the stone that is like the activator and it has copper wire entwining it onto the wand itself. And me and a sister, which made our wands together. Um, and the obsidian is shaped like an arrowhead. So it is very oh, dope. Uh, <laughs> like charging <laughs> and energetically like here's this, blast of fire because it's volcanic rock um and i have another wand that's totally different energy that i made while i was at spirit weavers that is wrapped in red thread and it was all about the lineage of the red thread and the red tent and the rose blood and um it's all wound up but it's like this really strong cedar wood underneath like grandmother cedar um so there's this feeling of these wands having more energy than the really cute ones that i got at uh, Harry Potter convention <laughs> 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 that look like McGonagall's and Florida, of course. Those are the pretty ones that I might set up when I'm like doing a decorative altar. But when I'm doing my mm-hmm. actual altar work, I will pick one of the two ones I've made to put in that place. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that too. When it comes to combining elements uh, with a wand, it's, I mean, those are, it's, it's technically wood, right? Mm-hmm. Which is technically earth. Um, there's it, we, you don't really go into it when it comes to Western magic, but there is the uh, like with Chinese or with um, a lot of the other Easterns. There's metal, right? There's mm. metal. There's water. There's wood. Oh yeah, I don't so work having, with those at all. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. So having having the metal actually again is another relation to the spirit realm, right? The energetic that's coming through that is literally electricity. So the the lightning strike, like you were talking about on the eight of wands in the. Um, in the wild unknown tarot, uh, being able to kind of cross those things over as well. And that also helps it's conductive because wood's not right. So being able to have a metal, being able to have rocks, stones that may be a part of it, it does. So again, you want to be able to conduct the energy out. It's a, it's a representation because literally if you start a fire, then you're, you're turning potential energy into, into active energy, kinetic energy. Yeah. Um, You're also, I want to, I feel like this is really, really true because we talked about swords and athames. Wands are mm-hmm. also torches, and that's why the wood catches fires because the, the right. big version of it, if we're looking at, it can be stay, like staves. Staves, yeah. yeah. Um, so a staff can be the big version of a wand, and you can think of like Gandalf with his crystal at the top. Um, or it can be a torch with like pitch on it so that it continually burns and it lights the way of the path. Right. And I think a lot of people forget that correlation and once i remembered that oh this this could literally light up the path ahead of me suddenly mm-hmm. wands as fire made so much more sense right yeah it's continuing to make the fire that's mm-hmm. the the idea it's not that it's going to burn out it's right. that it's continually uh continually moving energy through it yeah it's not a match the match is the tool. right <laughs> which is again the is 
is something else that it's interesting to me that you talk about pulling energy up from the earth. I think part of that, you talk about it from your practice is grounding. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea, and I guess that's maybe like the magnetism kind of the way that you do it, where you're pulling your, you're imagining that you have a place to come back to, like you said. I, yeah, but, I see it as an umbilical cord, like a very, right. fire, but it's a mixture of all of them. Cause when I lead people in that grounding practice, it's not just earth fire and it's not just earth metal and it's not just earth stone and it's not just earth dirt and it's not just underground right. aquifers. It's, it's three dimensional space. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's an alchemical, it's an alchemical, um, interaction of energy where I, I walk everybody through the layers so that they get mm-hmm. the underground water, the underground caverns, the right. bedrock, the molten lava, and then the core of the earth, which is iron, which I, again, I said, I relate to, if you believe in the earth having a core. <laughs> <laughs> totally different podcast. Yeah. We'll talk about that on the disclosure episode. Um, so I, I like, the image of the earth having a core because it feels right with the magnetics for me and it feels good for the imagery of like the earth as mother supporting us and having her own heart and so right. you can also see it as like a, a pulsing vein of like a heart string going from yours to hers and back again right there and back again. yeah i think of it as kind of like uh again it's it's giving back to the earth mm-hmm. too i think part of it is like we're pulling in source energy from from way past, you know, the stars and, yeah. and, you know, pulling it back in because at some point, again, you know, mama's going to fall apart. Like the earth is, is to be born is to, is to be cursed to death. So, you know, it's going to be here for a long time. Cursed but the, 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 so, I wouldn't want to live well, forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've discussed this before too. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> like, you know, being Methuselah or being kind of like afloat in space. It's like, fuck, I really wish that the sun hadn't supernova. <laughs> it's kind of, but that's maybe like uh, that's still kind of a three dimensional mindset as opposed to being able to transition into salamanders or or any of the other energetics that kind of yeah we'll uh, talk maybe we can talk about elementals next episode Step yeah out I think tools. that would be good um, yeah so with those tools being said the next one up from chalice cup uh, whatever you want to call it most people see it um, as cauldron. Mm-hmm. But cauldron can also be the mixture of all of them, right? Because it's it's got the fire underneath it. It's got the liquid mm-hmm. inside of it. It's made of Metal. iron. Yeah. Right. And then you're stirring it and the steam is rising. And so then you have air. So you're literally doing an alchemical reaction with cauldron. So I always argue whether chalice progresses to cauldron. I actually realized um, after you and I hung up earlier, I like well as the big one. Mm. So if we do sword and staff or torch then the next one for me would be well like an actual well of water Mm -hmm. because then you get into the the real literal depths and you could do also river and ocean for that matter right Um, but if we're talking about like containers and actual objects that you can put your hands on and feel in physical space then you can draw water up from a well right it literally is the container but yeah it's Mm -hmm. like you know, once you start to kind of get into that too, you're, you're doing a combination again of like steam is air and water. Right. Right. So that's, that's a, it's the same element, but alchemically, those are the two things combining and expressing themselves as steam. Yeah. You know, you can't have one without the other and you can't have that without heat. Yeah. So, uh, that's definitely, uh, more than just (laughs) basics, (laughs) basics conversation. Alchemy conversation is, is another episode entirely. Um, So, uh, yeah. So again, with, uh, with the idea of the, of the pinnacle or the pentagram, uh, being 
like drawn into dirt, drawn onto wood, mm-hmm. carved, uh, you know, into stone, being made from metal, like literally having like an iron pinnacle, like you said. Yeah. Um, uh, that is, uh, that's a good way to actually, it conducts heat, right? Yep. Um, it's completely separate from water. So the, when you're starting to do that and you're, you're starting, like, that's where you're putting your intentions of combining water and air, uh, maybe try, like trying to imbue an object mm-hmm. again, like this is getting in more of an alchemical uh, yeah. idea, but it's like, this is, that's what these things are used for, right? You have a space that's set up and then you're using, you're combining the things together, which is what we're hopefully getting to and when it comes to, to working in magic. If you expand a pentacle, it essentially becomes like the, the sacred circle ground that you're standing in. Um, right. And, and yeah, because it's all, it's all five, right? Right. It's air, earth, water fire and spirit yeah so even though it represents the earth element so this is the other thing too i saw um a lot of people when i was first beginning the practice uh equating the pentagram or pentacle uh depending on whether they were like more tarot-y or not as a plate that's why i asked you before like what you saw it as if you put it upright or if you laid it down right because in the tarot it's upright and it's a pentacle in Mm -hmm. a lot of the pagan traditions where i practice it was the pentagram and it was right. down and it was a plate and it represented um, like the sacred place where you put food. And we always mm-hmm. put the food on that part of the altar um, for the blessing and benediction where you are, you practice eating with the gods. Um, and so that's where that Christian practice came out of. And that's something that I wanted to mention too. When you see the chalice and the cup and you see the crossed sword and mm-hmm. the May, like oh suddenly a christian altar looks a whole lot different <laughs> um, and there's this idea of um eating with your ancestors eating with the gods and goddesses mm-hmm. eating with the spirits of the land and the beings of the different elements and so sharing a meal with the seen and unseen um it's kind of deepening community right because when we when we experience um, have close friends. We love to have meals with them. We love to invite them into our house and sit down and have a conversation and share food and drink. And it's this rule of hospitality. That's really big in paganism. Um, for most deities, like if you break that rule of hospitality, you've essentially sinned. Uh, it doesn't have the same kind of connotation of going to hell per se, unless you're looking at Greek mythology, but Mm -hmm. um, for other ones, it is like, it's really bad manners to not offer food and drink to whoever comes into your home. And so part of the reason that those are set up on an altar space is you are offering food and drink to the God or goddess Mm -hmm. who's stepping into the room with you. Right. And I think a lot of times I brush past that because I'm in a hurry to do magic because I have two small children and I just don't have the luxury that I used to. But I used to always, every single ritual, no matter what I was doing, have something that was edible and fresh water to pour in the chalice. And I would wash the chalice out and have it there as I did ritual. And then I would have a little bit at the end as like a sharing of the meal and then leave it for... Uh, the gods and goddesses to eat essentially, but leave it outside so that animals consume it and pour it back into the earth, pour the water back in the energy of the magic back into the earth, like you said, giving back to her. Um, So I think that it, seeing it as a plate is still really important and really useful because you're sharing in that communal energy with the beings. I think that is a, it's a very humanistic part of offering as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because it's something that sustains us. I also think it was probably a way that um, <laughs> practitioners hid their tools back in the day oh, because it's sure. kind of like, oh, it's just it's a plate. It's in the cabinet. You know, it's a knife. It's whatever else. Yeah. So I think that that was probably something that kind of kind of became co-opted in that way. Well, that's too, something that like if you are in the broom closet with your family, like even in your own home, essentially, you can do you can have all of these tools without anybody knowing the wiser and the the hidden tools are a cup and a plate from your kitchen mm-hmm. a knife from your kitchen and you can bring a fork along so it looks a little more normal don't use it to cut anything <laughs> if you're using it in a ceremonial re in a ceremonial way don't the only thing you use it for is for ceremony at least the way that i see it no no no. i mean the the knife would be um the athame for the room yes i know but don't use it to cut anything like literally it's used for ceremony at least again the way that i see it it's used for ceremony only like if a knife has been used to cut something it is it's uh it's not it's not sanctified anymore you know it's like it's being used as a different type of tool as opposed to being used as a tool in uh practice oh i'm saying the exact you know? opposite of you yeah see exactly this is another <laughs> reason why I, don't, I never registered as a witch <laughs> yeah so this is kitchen witch being a kitchen yeah. witch Literally, right. being a kitchen witch means to use the tools in your kitchen, mm-hmm. to use everything as a sacred object, and the mundane becomes magical, and the magical becomes right. mundane. And it's okay to use them on the everyday basis because of people around you aren't accepting of your faith and your practices and your spirituality, and so you have to step into a space of magic whenever you get the chance. And if you have the luxury of hiding something away in a trunk or a drawer, um, you can and you can do exactly what Jeremy just said, and you, you don't use it for any mundane purposes. It's set aside as very special, and, and it's a um, holy object that's not used on an everyday basis. But not everybody has that luxury. And so I'm saying if you are okay with being a kitchen witch, there's a ton of books on it. There's a ton of um, mentors on the internet who love to help people with it. Most of them are actually herbalists. And you <laughs> use just any glass from your kitchen, any plate from your kitchen, any knife from your kitchen, you get food, you get water, and you make it look like a meal in the space that you're going to do the ritual. And it can just be like, you can say like, oh, I'm praying <laughs> or I'm <laughs> meditating and or I'm like listening to something and make it look like you're you're doing something, quote unquote, normal. This and- is for Santa Claus for when he comes. <laughs> We've got cookies, cookies on well, the Well, that's plate. where the plate cookies come from. <laughs> yeah. It, it really is for the, the Holly King and the Ivy King. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can go into that on a Christmas episode in the future. But yeah. for for kitchen witches, a lot of people are like, but then what do I even use as as an as a wand? Like how do I make a wand look normal? And I was like, a spoon, baby. <laughs> you could have a wooden <laughs> spoon for sure and use the other side of it. You could also have um any uh, anything else that kind of holds fire so you can have a candle instead of mm-hmm. a wand. Um and so all of these tools uh, as they have a place on the altar, also have a place in setting up sacred space. And um, I know you mentioned earlier, Jared, that you would put them in the physical place. The way that I saw them used to set up sacred space is you cast the circle holding them. So you walk around mm-hmm. to each point holding whichever one you're using to energetically cast. So if you're doing fire of some sort, then you hold the wand as you uh, set up sacred space. If you're doing... Um, something else where you're setting like really clear, hard boundaries, then you might use the athame um, because you're like cutting through stuff. If you're uh, wanting to have a container of like healing and blessing and flowing, then you hold the chalice as you set it up and you have water as your element. Um, So it just really depends on 
what you're naturally drawn to as a practitioner too, because most witches I know gravitate towards wand or athame, but there are some that have this really cool in-between practice where they use a crystal wand. Mm -hmm. And again, it's that uniting of the elements, right? So crystals are made of earth, but the wand is fire and the crystals contain this like message from the past and and so it's like the the air is in there right because it's the thoughts of especially if you're using a lemurian crystal so you have like all of these things put together but i've seen people cast circles with crystals and it's the most beautiful energy to be inside that space Mm -hmm. um and i imagine it's a lot cleaner and again that's also uh moving into different realms of magic mm -hmm. You know, there's there's the elemental realm, there's the the angelic realm. There's like there's depending on which way you're which energetic you're pulling in too is going to make is going to have a different impact on the way that everything feels. Yeah, most of my teachers use blue fairy fire, and so they would use um, uh, wands. Right, athames wouldn't attract the fairies as much. But something for a kitchen witch that I really want to say that most people don't think about: um, a wand is made from a piece of wood normally, but it it's essentially made from a plant that has dried. And so if you follow that principle, you could dry a really pretty rose or chrysanthemum or even like so just something that has a stem that's sturdy enough that when it is dry, so if you hang it upside down until it's completely lost all moisture, it will stay standing and stiff and you can put it in like a little vase and it just looks like a decoration until it's time for you to do ritual and then that Mm -hmm. can be your secret wand and then it has like (laughs) even more magic inside of it because it has that flower energy to go with it which is another level of mixing earth and fire (laughs) (laughs) you're nerding out i am i love it i love (laughs) playing with tools i love having um, physical representations of stuff but i'm also double earth air so i think about all the physical (laughs) things Right. Um, something else too that I've seen is when they use. Um, have you seen those? They're they're knives for cutting herbs, and they're made from stone, and they're shaped like a crescent moon with a handle. Uh, that sounds very familiar. Yes. Yeah, they're they're like a really cool witchy tool. Also, Durga's holding one. Um, hers isn't made of stone; it's made of metal. But she's holding that crescent shaped uh, blade which is like a scythe. Uh, so the big version of that would be a scythe, right? For harvesting. Um, right. But the small version is like a little mini scythe for harvesting herbs. And I've seen a lot of witches actually use that to cast, which is fun because it has the crescent moon within it. So you're already calling in the goddess. Right. Um, so there's, there's lots of ways to get creative with why you have the tools and how you have them. Um, and then you can take notes about all of it in your book of shadows, which is another tool. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a combination of what? How how exactly would you see that? I see it always as earth and air. For me, it's like the book itself is very physical and heavy, and so that's the earth component. And it's uh, mine's always bound in leather. Mm-hmm. I, like I, my main book of shadows. Um, I just have a tradition of of having them bound in leather, but I'm also um, a person who consumes animal flesh. And so that's okay for me. Uh, (laughs) Not everybody is okay with that. If you're a vegan or you're vegetarian, then you might not want that. And you might want something else as part of your cover. But for me, that brings in the earth component. And then on the pages is air because it's all the words, but you could say it's completely in air because it is, it is the thoughts. Um, 
Right. But I feel like it's... Or it's song. It's, but yeah. I do, I agree with you. I think it's like, it's the symbolic, like literally the symbolic representation. So you're putting it into a solid form by drawing the letters, yeah. and it's such by a, writing down the things. Astrologically, it's such an earth practice to do that. Like, what do you mm-hmm. talk about when earth signs want to do magic? They want to make lists. They want to write yep. out plans. <laughs> they they mm-hmm. literally create the whole ritual outline prior to the ritual beginning. <laughs> so there's uh, this like very earthy feeling to me that comes with the the air component of Book of Shadows. And I do think it's an alchemical combination of the two, as opposed mm-hmm. to something like feathers, which would be completely air. Uh, but you use that a lot of times to blow incense, which I think incense is the halfway point. Or if you think about quills, it's the same thing. You're using yep. it to write down spirit, right? right. You're, you're uh, channeling in that way. I miss quills. Yeah. It's, they're, they're not really around anymore, are they? It's <laughs> <laughs> like you go to Harry Potter world. Um, and okay, also along those lines, if you did use a quill, you would be dipping it in ink, which is then bringing in the water component and mm-hmm. creating that alchemy again. Um, right. And with with candles, I feel like sometimes the candle uh, is is the actual ritual happen, like the magic that you're working with. Uh, right. It's not just you're working with the element of fire, but it's not just the representation of fire on the altar. It's like the actual spell work itself, where you're you're dressing the candle. If you have a beeswax one, where you're putting oils and herbs and rubbing it all on, and like it's warming in your hands already without even being lit and then mm-hmm. like you bring in the god or goddess and then you light it and it's like you're you're showing that the spirit is present with the flame that's burning right um are there any other tools like that that you feel like are crossovers uh mirrors i think we kind of talked about that too so right. any type of scrying that you're doing um and that's again it's all once you start to get into where you're combining you can't have like just two mm-hmm. obviously if you're doing uh if you're doing candle magic or if you're doing incense smoke is you know that's part of the fire so that's agni and swaha like it's like that's that's fire but it's also the words that you're saying the uh, mantra that you're saying the intentions that you're putting out are air like with um with scrying you want to have you know you have to have at least a little bit of light to be able to see supposedly unless you're you know you're really in tune with like a a dark vision or a night vision to be able to do uh scrying with a mirror so that you're looking for something else in the reflection right so that is my favorite that's kind of like that's oh go ahead like i was just gonna say that that's that's like fire and earth as well yeah Um, it's like fire earth and water for me because my favorite is using either a black like black porcelain bowl or an actual mm-hmm. obsidian black mirror and having a candle right next to it so that the light is flickering in a really useful way. Cause it helps right. your eyes kind of just, um, sink into the packet, into the, um, the background and, and not be so focused on just your reflection. And I've heard multiple times, um, Anton always says this when we uh, teach eye gazing at our retreats, that you stare into the person's left eye. Um, so mm-hmm. when you're staring into the your own reflection, then you'd be staring into your left eye, which is the opposite. <laughs> it's crazy. Right. But um, it's really useful because uh, the left side is, the left eye is the entry into the right brain, weirdly. Um, and you want to get out of your left brain because that's 
the very regimented thinking and the right brain is much more receptive to the other world. Um, and what, what do you mean? Uh, well, left brain would be like order, logic, oh, gotcha. method, um, whereas right brain would be intuition, empathy, openness. Mm-hmm. And when you're scrying, you're, you're really trying to tap into all the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> um, those, are, those are the main uh, crossover tools. I think you can also have crystals um, that represent, like there's crystals that can just be put into a grid. And then you can also have a crystal in each of the four places that represents um, an element that's connected to it. And most crystal books, um, whether it's the Crystal Bible or... Um, we have another one that's really fun, Crystal Book. It it will say which element it's typically associated with. And some are really right. obvious, right? Like obsidian would be associated with fire. Um, but some are not so obvious. And so you can put – I used to do that all the time when I had, like, the luxury, like I said, to really set up a ritual <laughs> and set up altars for every single um, holiday. I would put different crystals um, out in different configurations, depending on whether I wanted them to just have their elemental representation or whether I was having them charge something up. And then I would typically put, um, my little cauldron in the very center because then I would put the spell in that. So it was like re, uh, enforcing the container of the magic space I was creating the circle I was casting with the cauldron in the center, holding whether it was like a piece of paper or a ball of string or whatever I was doing as spell work. So let me ask you this. How many of these things have you learned from teachers and how many of these things have you come up with on your own? Um, just the basic altar setup of put the cup in the West and put the anime in the East. Right. I learned from teachers and from books. Mm-hmm. Um, the in-between stuff was just like mostly intuition of, I want to put this here. Right. I want to put this here. Um, having an altar that had crystals on it nobody told me to do mm-hmm. um but having an altar that reflected the holiday was suggested right so it's about half and half okay well i was gonna since i didn't read the uh the thing at the beginning i'm gonna read it now if i can find the place where i mm-hmm. bookmark this book <laughs> because the one that i'm surprised that neither of us really thought about and i had to pick this book up and and see it in here uh it's the mala um yeah so this i also thought this was just kind of funny so this is again from jan freeze i talk about this guy a lot he is a he is a wealth of information uh he has books you're reading from this is this is kali kaula um (laughs) but he has one that i haven't gotten yet yeah he has books on uh runes he has books on lamatsu uh, you know, like the Mesopotamian gods. He is a, he's a German author. He is an incredibly funny author. Uh, and he, uh, I mean, he writes on ceremonial magic and, and different types of magic and every time he does like, he's got a book on, um, on, uh, on dancing, you know, on uh, ecstatic dance. Mm. So um, I opened up the book when I had come in after you and I had actually talked on the phone and uh, just kind of came to this. So it just says uh, Japa Mala. The recitation and repetition of a mantra is called a japa, and a magical tool for this purpose is a special sort of necklace, a rosary called the japa mala. The japa mala is one of the most brilliant magical inventions ever. To begin with, the item is absolutely useless. 
It has no practical <laughs> function. It has no practical function whatsoever. And the activity associated with it can be done quite as easily without it. As the Japa Mala is totally free of practical uses, it can be used as a number of highly irrational activities. This is one of the strongest points and a reason that malas did not only become popular in India, but were soon integrated in Islam and Christianity. The Japa Mala can be found in one form or another, uh, one form or another all over Eurasia. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's so he goes, he goes into some of the significance as to why there's 108 beads as well. Um, I cannot recommend this guy's writing enough. So, uh, there's one that I always end up coming back to. And it's one that I'm using as a reference point for, um, a lot of the things that I'm posting on my Patreon. Hey, plug. <laughs> well, with Mala's, <laughs> I, I realized when you said that half the time I would, um, put it in the center and mm-hmm. like kind of encircle the thing I was working on with that energy or the mala would get charged with that ritual. Right. Or I would actually put it up in earth because that's crystals. Those are the two places mm-hmm. that I put my mala. Speaking yeah. Of- well, there's also the, there's the, the sutra aspect of it too, because it's bound, right? right? There's the like the combining. Yeah. yeah. The threads. Um, so it's uh, speaking of other tools that aren't um, always across the board. If you use yarn and thread, which I am someone who in my, uh, just normal everyday life loves to knit and to weave and to make really pretty ojo de dios mandalas. Um, I actually would put thread up in earth because mm-hmm. it um, it has that feeling of like coming from. It's animals. giving a structure, yeah, and, and yeah. tying and binding and um, and completing. And so that's where I put that. If I was um, gonna have a a sound object, whether that's bells or Tibetan bowls or crystal bowls just, those just in singing east. in general yeah yeah typically go in the east um and you can use those to clear space ahead of time uh you can use those to call in certain energies that like sound and a lot of people mm-hmm. forget that too where would you put a drum um earth most yeah. likely because there is a very there's a deep drop down vibe to it like the um the uh, animal meditations that you've done as well. It's very much as soon as you start that rhythmic beat, mm-hmm. you know, and this is the way it's used in a lot of native American uh, traditions as well. It's just like, you're very present because you've got that repetition of like, you're here, you're here, you're here, you're here. And then suddenly you're not yeah, you're right. Gone. Because your you're body gone. is very you're present. Gone. You're very, yeah, you're very present, but you're, you're able to kind of travel, which is one of the cool things that I, I think about, um, the way that you do meditation too. Cause again, I was listening to one of our old podcasts and you were like, one of my strengths right now is definitely doing guided meditation, which mm-hmm. it, it's, you've continually gotten better and better at it is how you were able to, to maintain the space to keep people present and to have them be able to safely journey because that's a big part of it too. Like you want to make sure that you have the earth element, like you said, have a, a way to be kind of um, bound to your body because mm-hmm. if you go too far out, and you start working with energetics that are like too far up and you are, are not coming back, then you literally like, if you get reabsorbed into spirit, then like you're kind of, you're, you you're going against the whole point of the work. Bye. Yeah. And you don't necessarily want to do that. Right. You're here for a reason. Yeah. I, I do feel like that's another reason I put string in earth and I mm-hmm. typically yeah. red string because it's like the representation of blood and iron again. So right. it's like drawing, it's giving you a tether so you can fly as high as you want. Cause then you can always pull yourself back down. Right. And eventually you can learn to keep that tether constantly going and be in two places at once, which is a fun practice down the line. Um, it's not <laughs> easy. And it's exhausting when you first start doing it because 
maintaining an energetic awareness of a temple space that's on a different dimension while also like cleaning the house and cooking dinner and playing with kids. (laughs) (laughs) It's a practice. It's a literal practice. Um, I was going to say selenite wands. Do you ever work with selenite wands? Uh, the only one that I ever had, I left at y'all's place when I moved. Um, but the end, that was the only time I ever used it. I, I don't even, actually, I don't even know if I ever used it. It was just kind of in my room. Someone had gifted it to me. Um, cause I, I'd been gifted one too, since after you left and, um, I've started using it a whole lot and I realized, uh, I like it in the East because it feels mm-hmm. more like a sword to me because it clears and it cuts away and it, um, helps, disperse negative energy and so if you use selenite wands even though it's a wand i personally put it in the east rather than the south and when i say these points um on an altar it it's really like the top and the bottom and the right and the left kind of uh if you're like looking at the altar from standing above it (laughs) right Uh, because it's hard sometimes to be like is this north (laughs) am i facing correctly or it's really inconvenient maybe in your house because like your bed is over there and you're doing this in your bedroom um essential oils where do you put essential oils they're like earth and water because it is a combination of you know the things that you're that you're uh that you're hoping to bring in Apollo, rose you know whatever the essence is i feel like they're almost like um Water and, air. and it's also air too, yeah. but yeah, because it's, it's, it's the smell, yeah. right? Like that's one of what is dropping you in and it's the essence of what it is that you're working with as opposed to the actual physical part of it. It's what makes up what the thing is. And that's a tool I think a lot of people forget goes beyond just physical healing. It really mm-hmm. helps set the tone. And like one thing I loved about ceremony when uh, a specific guardian who dressed all in black and had beautiful long black hair and you know who I'm talking about. Um, when she was one, one of the, the main leaders in the group, she would always anoint us. And it was, oh, it's the most beautiful way to set the tone, to have this anointing of like, I am um, opening your third eye and activating your voice and activating your ears and connecting your crown and your heart and putting it into your hands so you can do the work. And it was like all these points on your body where the essential oil went and I do that every morning like that's a practice that starts my day where if I don't do it I feel off during the day Mm -hmm. and I use a specific essential oil that has rose as the base when I do it and it's rose absolute so it's like real rose and it's this very strong smell and to me it's stepping into a place of like divine nature and when i step into real ritual space of like um no kids no husband just like (laughs) me by myself in the room i do it again because i'm i'm really saying and i'll do other essential oils along with it because i feel like smell is one of the easiest ways to transport yeah i was gonna say that it also is really connected to spirit as well because you know um my yoga uh some of my yoga teachers here um they had a, a giant uh, Shiva or Shiva, depending on how you pronounce it, um, statue in one of the offices or in, uh, in one of the, um, the, uh, classrooms and, uh, it had been moved a lot of times. So it had broken in part of it. Oh. And, um, so when her, one of her, one of the, um, one of the owner's husbands was working on it, um, she like walked into the space and she was like, it smells like sandalwood. And he was like, I know it's been smelling like that for a while. And that sandalwood is one of the essences or one of the scents that is associated with Shiva. So it's like, 
again, like these, this type of stuff can kind of actually come through because it's like, thank you for the work that you're doing, you know, and the, yeah. the deity will show up in that way, even if you're not burning those plants. So we had kind of talked about that before too, with yeah. like what some of these things represent and how they're associated with those, those deities. So it's just really cool that that's the case too. Like a lot of times you may smell something that transports you back a lot of, you know, if you have something that reminds you of when you were a kid and you're automatically take, taken back, um, smell is such an incredibly, uh, it's such a, it's, it's like, it's so not really there, right? Yeah. Because our, our, our sense of smell doesn't, and our, I think our taste buds are the same way, but it doesn't really detect scent. It detects changes in scent. Yeah. So when we smell something, it's literally like, it's not just that there's a, a thing that's burning or whatever the thing that's there. It's literally the energy that is also there that can, that can make us aware of th- something that has changed in the space yeah. and energy that's changed in the space. And I just had this image of the reason I laughed a second ago, like wasn't laughing at what you were saying. I was laughing at when you said the smell when you're a kid. And I was like, if you're doing an inner child healing ritual, can you make like mm-hmm. your favorite thing that your mom used to cook for you as the food and water? Yeah, oh like, God. Yeah. On the plate and in the cup and like it activates that smell sense memory of, oh my God, if I had like. <laughs> your craft macaroni and cheese uh, essential oil yeah. <laughs> um, i just picture like bacon and pancakes with uh, right like my mom's way of doing it which was bisquick <laughs> like i would never eat it now but to have that smell would instantly transport me back into being a child and right so that's something to consider too if there's a particular smell of like um an essential oil that to you seems to evoke something that you can't quite like put your finger on. Maybe it's an ancestor memory. Maybe it's a specific Mm -hmm. type of elemental being that wants to work with you. And so that can also help where um, I use a specific essential oil when I do Akashic records readings versus when I do tarot readings, weirdly. Um, And I use another one when I'm doing other work. So there's, there's different smells for different purposes, just like there's different tools for different purposes. And Mm -hmm. it's all a tool. Um, The other thing I wanted to talk about is some of the more uh, shamanic tools that you and I use. Uh, So whether that's um, Agua de Florida Mm -hmm. or Chacalpas or rattles, we already mentioned drums. Um, Yeah. These ones I don't typically place on my altar because they're usually too big, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I might put them around the outside and uh, go ahead. I was just going to say it, it's amazing. I didn't even say anything. All I did was breathe in. That's amazing. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me how it is that when we look at native cultures who have literally integrated so much of this stuff, uh, you know, they have so much respect for the earth itself that it doesn't seem to have as much of a space that is uh, held in reverence for us on the altar. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's literally, you go grab a handful of leaves, <laughs> you can make your shaker, right. You go grab some rocks and you throw them in an Easter egg. You've got your thing. Like, it's, it's so strange that that's the case, but it's like, well, you're not, a, you're not a knife, you know, you're not a cup that I could put some juice in, <laughs> but it's, but it's, there's mystery and there's magic in it. Absolutely everything. Yeah, I do. I love um, pulling some of these out. Like Chacalpas are a bundle of leaves that with a, mm-hmm. kind of like a handle that have been dried. And I uh, got my first one from a beautiful shaman in Peru. He gifted it to me and Anton. And um, I got my second one from the same shaman store and we were just supporting him um, with like buying tools. Mm -hmm. But I use it for clearing with clients sometimes. And I'll kind of ask 
their guides? Like what's going to be the most effective right now? And sometimes hearing that, like it's a leaf rattle here. Let me shake it. And it has this kind of like airy. Like a crunchy sound. Yeah. It's like an airy quality though. But when um, the old one, this one's like almost falling apart because the leaves are so dry. It's a little bit louder, but it's like Mm -hmm. um, this plant rattle that's really gentle, but also really forceful. Like when you are in the room with it, I can do it around myself. Blue was doing it for me yesterday, actually, my oldest son. Mm. And uh, he was shaking it around me. And I was like, oh, my God, that feels so good. And he did it around himself. He goes, yeah, that does feel good. And it clears energy so wonderful because it's like you're sweeping it away. It looks like a broom. Mm-hmm. And it acts like a broom. Oh, also brooms. You can have a yeah. broom. In <laughs> From South America oh, yeah. to Western Europe. <laughs> As she wraps them all around her hand. So um, <laughs> have you ever um, used a broom ritually? No, but it's uh, it's interesting how much, again, of an energetic shift it makes. I mean, I've, I use it whenever I clean the house, which doesn't happen often because Lindsay really loves to sweep. Um, but it's it, it, from the, like, the smallest, most minuscule aspects of things that maybe kind of like I talked about like tracking in esoteric mud before yeah. it, it, there's a, there's something to that too, that there's energetics that are connected to the things that you're bringing into the house, you know? And I, I wanted to, uh, it's funny. We were talking earlier and I was thinking about like how there's a lot of ritual in whether it's uh, a, a tantric um, a ceremonial uh, work or some of the, uh, some of the more like weird, <laughs> I'll say Western stuff where it's literally like, you wash yourself, you know, you have to be super specific about making sure that you're clean and, or washing yourself with a certain, um, smell like you were talking about, like Mm -hmm. having something that is kind of attractive to the energetic. Um, part of that too, is literally getting rid of some of this crap that we bring in that we don't even realize whether it's the stuff that we're listening to or just going out and, and walking in other people's footprints, uh, going to a store or going out in public. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it, it, it is, it's very like, it's like water. You know, it kind of feels that vibe. Like I said, it sounds like crunchy as well when you were using the, um, uh, when you were using the Chikapapa. And so it's almost like you're breaking up the things that may be around you that are like starting to kind of form any of these negative energies that are starting to kind of kind of structure themselves. So sweeping feels like kind of the same thing too. You're collecting it into a pile. You're, you're giving it, thanks for coming in. Be on your way. Time for you to go. It's more, I feel like it, it can clear out just stagnant energy too. Not mm-hmm. even any specific entities or beings, but like literally just stale energy in a house. Right. You like, um, <laughs> so two movies came to mind instantly Practical Magic and Hocus Pocus, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Practical Magic, it shows them sweeping out the dust of the bad boyfriend <laughs> who they have to like clear <laughs> the curse from. Um, and they're literally sweeping him out of the house and to the point to the place where his body is buried and then they're pouring the brew over it um, mm-hmm. to kind of seal it and finish it where um, a lot of people are like, well, what if I have carpet? I'm not really going to like sweep my carpet with a broom. <laughs> you could do it in the air or you could pull on the hocus pocus ridiculousness where she's riding on the vacuum mm-hmm. and use a vacuum and you start at the back point of your house. So the farthest away from your front door and you vacuum towards your front door um, and then you like shoo it out from there. So uh, if you're 
if you're like, if you have a house like ours where we have um, carpet on the second floor, but not the first, I would vacuum all the way down. And then I would start with sweeping from like the very back and sweep towards the front door. And then literally I sweep it not only out onto the sidewalk, I sweep down the drive and like to the road Mm -hmm. um, because I don't want it just on my front porch either. Don't come back. Yeah. You don't want to come back in. (laughs) I'm like, go, go on your way, go to the road where you can travel, be free. And, um, it's such a great clearing spell. And we already mentioned using Tibetan bowls as clearing in your Mm -hmm. hands become tools with that too. And they do it a lot in feng shui with clapping. Um, right. And then also a lot of people get really like, this is appropriation burning sage. Um, sage is not technically appropriation. If you were born in the Southwest, it's all around you. You can go outside and you can honor the land and thank it and then pick a little bit and burn some. It's a clearing herb. It will clear things for you. Um, and so will cedar and so will rosemary and so will juniper, <laughs> like all of these mm-hmm. beautiful plant allies that are here when they are burned, their, um, vibration that they're sending out is literally sending away all of the negative types of energy that can infiltrate a space. Pretty much anything that you can make, um, kind of a loud cracking or smacking or, you know, any, any, like, a um, castanetas, mm-hmm. like, like any of that type of stuff where you're breaking the energy up and moving it out. And also, you know, we also know that, uh, that good energies like music, right. You want to like with Shipibo, uh, with a lot of the, um, uh, with a lot of the, uh, the Ikoros, you know, that type of stuff that kind of makes the energies dance, mm-hmm. you know, so bringing that stuff in. So you're getting the good energy actually enlivened. And even if it is negative energy that may be in the house, you're getting it up and you're getting it moving well, so that it mantra. maybe can move on its way. Right. That mantra is such a good tool for both um, sending away and drawing in because these energies like the sound vibration. They like the literal sound of the, the word that's coming out of your mouth as well as the tone. And uh, <laughs> I just like used to always laugh in church when I was a kid where they said like, God doesn't care how you sound. He just cares that you're singing. Um, and I was like, I don't think that's true. I think he really does appreciate <laughs> harmony. Um, and so do all the angels. And I always felt like, uh, there were angels in the room when, uh, the tone was really harmonious. I felt like the presence of angels as a child. And so I think Let's, that still applies. Yeah. Do you, um, this happens a lot for me where you get a ringing in the ears mm-hmm. where you feel like an energy has kind of entered. Do you get that as well? I do. I do. Yeah. Um, where there's like, um, especially with angelic energy and the first time yes. that it happened to me, um, consciously where I equated the ringing with angels was mm-hmm. in ceremony. Well, technically it was in the bathroom of the house. during <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> I was sitting there like, am I going to get up? Am I going to walk back into circle space? I don't know. I think I'm having something happen right now. And I remember tilting my head back and the ringing getting louder, the more that my eyes looked up and the ringing like was expanding, not only in um, like depth of sound, like around me, it felt like it was becoming Mm -hmm. more tangible. It was also um, expanding in pitch. So it was increasing in pitch. It was going higher and higher and higher the more that I paid attention to it. And I felt like I was rising with it. And I think it is that kind of angelic transport that happens of um, sound and light almost combining in a really beautiful way. Yeah. Downloads or uploads, whatever it is that's kind of coming through. Mm -hmm. 
And so, yeah, sound can be a huge, huge tool in and of itself, like smell and sound. And then we get to sight. And this is an Eastern tool as well with yantras, where you're Mm -hmm. looking at specific symbols, specific groups of symbols, specific configurations of symbols that all help to um, bring that energy uh, more in line with where you are physically. Right. And I mean, a big part of this, too, is is literally just getting... uh... Uh, cohabitation with you and the energetic you focus on it and you, you know this is the reason why symbolism is so incredibly important in our culture understanding what the thing means doesn't mean that you have to constantly think about it it's also being able to have those things integrated in your body yeah. so you know mantra is part of that the vibration actually you can feel it the visual aspect of looking at a yantra or looking at alchemical symbols there's more than just that thing that's related to it, right? Which is why symbolism is so incredibly important. It's not just using English. Like the language is a good way to convey stuff, but saying something saying something to somebody doesn't mean that it's going to spark a realization in them, right? right. It's something that, that it has to be integrated and, uh, you know, it's not necessarily something that can always be taught too. It's really an interesting thing that I've, that I'm discovering even now in my practice is, um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to initiations and things, you may have been doing the work on something for a really, really, really long time, but just not have seen it. You know, you people talk about um, working on like a police officer talk about working on a case and then finally having things kind of fall into place. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's a big part of what our journey is too. like um, some of the, the mantras and stuff that I work with, uh, you know, I'll feel an, I'll feel a draw to them. And then it may be that, you know, I don't really use them that often for a while. And then I'll come up, I'll either like stumble across them as in my reading or it'll come to me in a session that I'm working with somebody. And the energetic that comes through is like, whoosh, you know, it's just this huge shift that actually happens. So um, some of these tools, you know, it's they're they're there even if you're not looking at them, which again, it starts to kind of get into the more advanced levels of what I was talking about earlier with saying having these things in the, uh, the etheric space where and, I have, you have access to them at all points, you know? Yeah. And I think part of that, um, like the bridge that can happen between that, that's not so permanent, like what I did. Um, you mm-hmm. can draw these symbols on your body and this is right. huge in, um, Norse work in Norse mythology and, um, what they call a satru practices where you take the rune and you draw it either on your forehead or on your throat or over your heart or in your hands. And you have that rune physically embodied for the ritual that you're doing. And I've heard of other ways of like painting symbols um, on each other when you're doing coven work and you're like Mm -hmm. either painting a symbol of initiation or you're painting a symbol of opening or closing or of um, kind of, other types of embodiment. And I'm, I'm curious uh, whether people have done it with yantras in Western esoteric practices, right? Because there is a lot of crossover between East and West now. So I'm right. sure there has been where they've taken like maybe uh, even just like the, the most simple ones, like the chakra uh, symbols that are inside with um, like inside the circle seal itself right and painted them like people get them tattooed all the time and like you don't even realize what you're putting on your body or they get like right. a tree yantra tattooed on them like, do you realize what you're embodying right now and um i think it's really important to consider before you go get sacred geometry t- tattoos before you go get sacred symbolism tattooed on you that that's 
the energetic signature that you're really comfortable fully embodying. Yeah. Cause it's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, every single one of the tattoos that's on me has been very, very carefully thought out because I didn't start getting them till I was 25. So that mm-hmm. helps, but, um, they all have drawn energy in, in one way or another and in a really beautiful way. Cause I have everything from, Kabbalah names of God to, like I said, an athame to the actual tarot symbols to um, alchemical equations <laughs> mm-hmm. to just the representation of specific aspects of nature or plant medicine or animal medicine. Um, so I think that can be another tool down the line once you're like, I'm ready to fully embody this. And not many people are going to get like a third eye tattooed on them, but they could put a bindi on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think it, if you're, well, I mean, yeah, we were going down that road. It's literally like, you know, belly dancers, bells and anklets and that type of thing too. It's mm-hmm. like, I realize how, how much stuff we actually have come up with when it comes to just tools, yeah. when it comes to magical work, oh, you know? Tools. Okay. Speaking of clothing before we wrap up, cause we do need to get going soon, but um, clothing can actually be a tool in and of itself. And a lot of people are like, what do you mean? <laughs> cause they don't want to start dressing up. Uh, like people that they see as uh, kooky or wacky or out there um, just for rituals, but it can be really, really fun to go through stages of a ritual initiation or a ritual ceremony or some kind of um, physical embodiment of a deity story. Like I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of Inanna specifically, like if you have on seven layers of something, or if you have on seven items, whether that's like a necklace and a shirt and a pair of pants and some bracelets or whatever, um, she goes through the seven levels of the underworld before she reaches her sister, Ereshkigal, and she has to take off seven things as a symbol of like surrender and of um, release of attachment to ego and to roles she's held before in order to get to her truest self. And so as a coven working together, you can have seven veils essentially and do a dance of the seven veils and do ecstatic dance. Or you could have um, the person like walk through the room and uh, have guardians at each point that are like taking the items from them. And you get to feel the physical experience of removing that energetic thing. And then you can put all of those items into something where they get recharged and like blessed. And then the next person gets to go through the initiation. So having clothing as a tool can be really, really fun and really, really useful. Well, this is, yeah, it's a big part of a lot of ceremonial magic too, is wearing certain types of robes, Mm -hmm. you know, certain colors that relate to certain energetics, um, being able to actually charge them up. Uh, I have, like I said, I have a couple of ponchos that I've worn in ceremony that I use in my yoga practice that I use in my uh, meditation and magic practice um, that is, uh, you know, it's getting that energetic as you're using it as well. So uh, it's almost making talismans just by contact of your body. Mm -hmm. Um, So good thing to do. Uh, It's, and that's, I think another reason why it's hard for people to like let go of stuff. A lot of times when it comes to clothes, I wear stuff until it falls apart. And I'm, some of my favorite stuff are things that I've either 
found at secondhand stores or have been gifted to me. Like I don't like to shop for clothes. So um, there li- it literally feels like there's an energy that are two certain things that I'm like, I'm drawn to that. And I want to wear this for 10 years until, you know, it turns to dust. <laughs> so, <laughs> me and Anton are the opposite. We're like, I'm buying this for this specific occasion and I might not wear it for the next time <laughs> because we want it to, it's almost like the opposite of earlier when you're like, no, you can't use the knife to cut anything except ceremonial. And I'm like, no, you can for everything. I'm the opposite with clothes where I'm like this this dress is only going to be worn for this thing. And I might wear it again eventually, but only if I want the same energy to follow me throughout the day. And I don't right. want anybody else's energy touching it first. Different strokes, man. Different strokes, different <laughs> folks. And it's, it's fun to see where it overlaps too, where like, <laughs> and it's different, um, different means of approaching the same end. So right. where we're, we're using it for ceremony. Um, the other thing too that I I just want to touch on like right before we go is having representations of actual beings, um, whether that's like a painting of Isis or a statue of Hecate or um, Hermes staff, the caduceus, like having physical items that are directly associated or representative like imagery of the being that you're going to be working with. Mm -hmm. And that can be another fun tool to kind of help focus your energy as you're calling them in. Or if you um, make different altars for different reasons and you're calling in different beings for different things, then you, you pick up that deity's representation and you bring it to the altar or you like print it out from the internet if you don't want to have to like go buy a bunch of paintings and statues um and you you have that picture um almost like a like a way of saying like this person is who i i'm really focusing on um if or who you're wanting to embody yeah especially if you're uh you've never worked with them before it can be really helpful to see that imagery it can also be the opposite you know for some people they don't want to see anybody else's representation of that deity until they've met them on their own and then they'll go out and search for the one that looks the most like what they saw or felt or if you're an artist you kind of see it in your mind's eye in the whatever way it is same same thing we're talking about with writing uh, reading books yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, like the collie that you drew me for my birthday a couple years ago. So pretty. She's up on my wall. Um, and yeah, I can. I think that's something that once you get past just the directions and the elements and the elementals and the guardians and the plant guides and the animal guides, and you get into um, the angelic realms and the fairy realms and the realms of the deities and the master teachers and the ascended beings, then it's nice to have pictures um, or direct associations as you make up the altar that's going to interact with them. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to touch on before we... (laughs) We wrap up this uh, hour and a half long podcast. Oh my We've done, goodness! I don't know. Thank you for your patience to everyone listening. All the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Crafts. That's the last thing. Crafting um, for specific holidays, tying it all the way back to the beginning. This is amazing. So for like Bridget, you might make a, what's called a Bridget's cross, and you can weave it. And I made Jeremy make that with me one year. Mm-hmm, that was fun. Um, with pipe cleaners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, for uh, 
other holidays you can do other things like there's one where you carve um apples you paint eggs for ostara you can uh light fire and try and keep it going for 24 hours for yule there's so many different ways that you can interact with um the holidays themselves but it's fun to have the materials that are going to be going into it in the center of the altar and they can become tools year after year that you bring out almost like um, holiday decorations where you can have them or you can have them up all year long if you want that deity's energy to be around all year long um whether that's making like little spirit dolls or having um some kind of other craft that's wearable like a necklace or a bracelet um malas you can make malas and Mm -hmm. have like a ganesha guru bead or um something else that's associated with one of the hindu bead beings or tibetan beings so um, yeah yeah. like hoodoo dolls that type of thing too it's like literally making a representation of yourself and then you know putting it in a really elaborate and or exciting or like well-appointed place you know so that you're kind of like putting that type of magic into your experience as well my favorite poppet suggestion for people for themselves is to like put a little bit of nail clippings or hair inside a poppet that they're sewing um, with a bunch of lavender and mugwort and um, like other dream herbs. I was going to say, so you're always sleepy. No, no, no. So, um, and then you put it by your actual pillow um, Mm -hmm. so that when you come to bed and you put like, range the poppet so it's like sleeping peacefully so that you have peaceful deep sleep but that your dreams are really vivid Mm. because it has all the dream herbs inside mixed with the sleepy herbs right nice yeah and you use that very clear intentions that it's only when you're sleeping (laughs) (laughs) you can make a different poppet for like when you're working out yeah put some red bull in it (laughs) okay coffee beans yeah some pyrite, some magnetite, charge it mm-hmm. up. Um, yeah, there's so many different types of tools that you can make, that you can purchase from people, but I think it's more fun when you make it because I like crafts. Yeah, I was going to say, and that's the big thing too, is like while we have all of these standard tools and things that people have used, you know, in time memoriam, um, you can make whatever you want. Like if you've got a drumstick or something that you, I mean, I'm saying that because I'm looking at a drumstick, but like if you have certain things that you want to carry around in your pocket, that's like a, you know, a lucky charm or that type of thing, literally put it on your altar, set your intentions, hold it in your hand while you're doing your mantra, you know, like mm-hmm. doing that with a mala is cool. Um, it you can, can do it with your car keys. Remember we do yeah. the ceremony all the time. Put our yeah, seriously. Put it on, put it on the altar so that it's getting the good juju or, yeah. and that way when you pick it up too, you're reminded of whatever your intention was that you originally set. Yeah, so it's small. It's that small practical magic stuff too. Uh, Journaling is a big part too. We talked about like book of shadows, but literally like writing down what your thoughts are, and then like helping to kind of like structure yourself, like you said. Like I know we're kind of starting to kind of loop back, but like just your every every moment of your day can be um, intentional. Yeah, and that's a part of it too. Is you know realizing when it's not, and and wanting to bring a little bit of magic into it, like being able to do so. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Because I, I cook all the time and don't really think about it a lot of the time that I could literally be putting attention to everything I'm cooking. I am because I love to cook and I love to eat and I want to make sure that my the, my loved ones are fed well. But like I, a yeah, lot of times always, I'm not necessarily <laughs> casting spell as I'm doing it, you know. But you are. You are. You're using your thoughts. You're speaking right. words. And I always, always am like, I hope that everybody feels fully satisfied and is ready to go to bed when I make <laughs> <laughs> because I want.
want to cast that spell. If I'm feeling like emotionally vulnerable or emotionally distraught because I'm either listening to an audiobook and having a reaction or I'm listening to music and having a reaction, I step away from the meal I'm cooking so that I don't mm-hmm. like spew it into the food. And I come back when I'm ready to send in love and happiness and um, a, a feeling of like warmth and comfort. It's very cancer energy because sun in the fourth house but um yeah when you're cooking you are doing magic spells and you can think about adding magic herbs like sprinkling a little dill on it will actually mm-hmm. activate it putting a little time literally giving everybody more time to experience stuff um parsley attracting more abundance so there's so many so many tools but uh, we only have a certain amount of time in the day and we can teach this to you one-on-one if you find our Patreons and mm-hmm. reach out via Instagram or email. Um, so, Jer, you are do – you, do you prefer people to go to Voice, Hands, and Heart or do you prefer people to go to Jeremy Renta? There's no and. It's just Voice, Hands, Heart. I know. Um, you, can follow, you can follow either. Honestly, I'm not super active on my social media. I'm, I am attempting to be more active. Um, but you can follow either of them. Uh, the voice hands heart is a lot more of my business stuff. My Jeremy Renta is my personal stuff. So if you're interested in the stuff that I'm doing on my personal page, totally cool. You're going to find, uh, maybe some of my practices or the things that I'm doing on my, in my daily routine. Um, there's a, there's a lot of restructuring that's going on with everything right now with, uh, the timeout, which has been great. So social media may be, uh, shifting, uh, but what's in the, the next best way to reach you, Jeremy Renta. Find me on, on Instagram, okay. Jeremy Renta. There you yeah. go. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. So and the best way to reach me is Witch Goddess Mama on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and there's a link to my email there. If you want to contact me that way, you can DM me. You can um, follow the link in my bio to either my website or to Patreon and check out the tiers right now. Um, there's either a magic or a mantra meditation yoga or a between the worlds combination of the two. Um, All Souls Coven will open back up in October for people. So go ahead and get on the wait list now because it filled up pretty fast. And I'm super excited with the group we have. We had our first call on Beltane um, and it was amazing. Uh, So there's lots of stuff that we're cooking up. Also wanted to throw out at the end of this month, I'm going to be part of a awesome like what do they call it when it's online, but it's like a seminar thing. Uh, Teleconference, tele-seminar, yeah. uh, tele-something. Something that Morgan Garza put together. Woohoo! She did so good. Um, it's a bunch of a summit. That's what it's called, a summit. Um, <laughs> and I will be talking about the alchemy inside your body because the whole theme for it is inner alchemy. And the alchemy inside your body when you – Uh, consciously are interacting with food and beverage as a means of magic and and how much is that and that is free yeah because it's uh, going to charity Um, cool so but the problem is if you can't catch it live then you have to pay afterwards to be able to view it but the money still all goes to charity so everybody's doing it out of um, wanting to contribute to the community and enrich people's lives and get really connected and networked with an amazing group of teachers and uh, healers and light workers right now. Um, we're all so excited to watch each other's. We've been like messaging on Instagram, <laughs> like, I can't wait to see yours. Uh, so it's very nerdy and fun. Um, Andy, rock and roll shaman, my sweet friend, she's going to be doing something. Um, George, uh, who's been on 
a different podcast from this one, The Spirit Guides, who I love, and he's really funny. He's doing stuff. It's going to be a great, great group of people, and um, go check it out. Look up Inner Alchemy or look up Morgan Garza on either social media or the interwebs, and I think that's all I have to – oh, wait, no, one more thing. One last thing. (laughs) Anton is doing another Primal Flow certification, and I'm actually going to be – taking it this time so I can be officially certified because just because I live with the man doesn't mean I get the piece of paper <laughs> um, so I have to go through it but it's great because I'm really excited to see everyone's faces who's on it and he had such a great group I got to see some of the demo videos that he was um, watching for the certification and it's so amazing to be able to get to be because of the times we're in right now we get this opportunity, right? Normally he has to fly across the country to do these at different yoga studios. And unless you live in that city, you, it's really inconvenient because there's no way that you can just like pop over for a day and then go back home. So um, he's doing it for anybody. He had people in the UK, he had people in Australia. Um, So it's really amazing to experience primal flow certification. Go look at his page, Anton Holmes Mackie, uh, is his name or Anton Mackey yoga on Instagram and, uh, look at the primal flow. It is alchemy and yoga because you're, you're activating this internal knowing within you and you're doing a really vigorous vinyasa practice that brings you to stillness, which not every type of yoga hits all of those points. Diggity. When is that? That is. Mm, hey, hold on <laughs> I have to look um, do you have anything coming up what's going on for you here nope <laughs> <laughs> literally not uh, no, I mean I'm, I'm working on a lot of stuff right now that I'm, I'm not ready to talk about as of yet but okay. um, yeah I mean the Patreon stuff is up uh, I have been updating um uh, yesterday, actually, I recently updated. There's two new classic episodes that are up, three new classic episodes that are up, and uh, the breakdown from last week. Uh, we didn't do a mantra for this week, so I will be posting some of the backlog uh, material that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hum will be up this week as well, so I've got that one recorded. And um, I'm starting to do some stuff that I'm wondering if people are going to be interested in. So I'm putting up some samples of texts that I find useful mm-hmm. and I want to see if people want to kind of um, delve in a little bit more with me. So I'm going to put up some sample stuff and, uh, and then see kind of where that goes. Okay. Um, yeah. I think people will be just put that. Out. I, I believe, I believe that people will be as well, but it's, again, it's just like, I don't want to, I don't want to go spouting off exactly what it is because I don't have it like really literally written down in front of me, but um I'm so stoked to, uh, to, that we've continued to do this. Like I said, 11 weeks is, is nothing to shake a stick at. So it's not, it's so, I, I'm really proud of us for sticking with it without having too much fixed energy within either of us. Well, um, I mean, okay. So certification <laughs> one day, eight to eight on uh, Pacific time, May 16th. And it is really, really fantastic through the computer. My man, Anton, um, May 22nd is the summit in our alchemy. And right now I will be posting um, about the minor arcana tarot one week at a time starting next week because I already did the majors. 
Um, and I'm not going to be going through each card the way I did with the majors. I'm just going to be touching on the element for now, and then we'll get mm-hmm. deeper into it as the summer progresses. And I will be posting um, the May because I've already I put up two, so one for March, one for April of our previous our old school <laughs> hidden podcast so i'll be posting another one for may right this week and um another mantra this week because i actually two because i didn't do one last week so for all y'all already on the patreon thank you thank you for supporting and thank you for interacting and um believing that jar and i are offering something of value to you because we really do want to help uplift and enliven your practice yeah, we ain't doing this just to hear ourselves talk, although I do love my own voice. Well, it's a beautiful voice. Oh, Resonance. stop. <laughs> really, though. He answered yes. the phone today. Oh, my God. I was like, can you just say that again? He was like, oh, hi. And I was so <laughs> alone. It was very George Takai. <laughs> it was so good. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I love you, brother. And I love you. Too.